Hello, you're listening to the Scouted Football Podcast. Uh, I'm Joe Donoghue and I'm here to guide you through the world of under-23 football as per usual. Uh, I'm joined by a guest with expertise in a particular area again today uh, and usually that's either geographical or ideological and today's a bit of both really uh, as I'm delighted to say that we're in the esteemed company of Jay Sosick, uh, better known as Blades Analytic on Twitter. Jay is a, is a recruitment data analyst at Peterborough United in League One uh, but also does some other consultancy work with, with the fantastic team at Market Insights, which is run by some equally fantastic people uh, in, in the data analytics community. Um, I even caught the, the first two Market Insights pods uh, earlier this week, and, and I'd say they're, they're a fascinating listen for anyone uh, interested in uh, data analytics and, and that sort of recruitment side of things. Uh, I'm not too sure about having another competitor in the podcast ranks, actually, especially one with considerable knowledge, but we've got you for the next hour or so, Jay. Uh, welcome to the Scout of Football podcast. How are you keeping? I'm very well, thank you. I won't worry about competitor. You guys have been doing your stuff for years and you're experts. Eh? We're just muddling through. We're, we're muddling through. We're just bored. No, no it definitely doesn't sound like that. Uh, if someone gives us an opportunity to talk, we're going to talk, aren't we? That's, uh, we all, we've all got an opinion. And, uh, at the minute, there's not much else we can do, is there, but talk about football. Definitely. I uh, completely echo that sentiment there. Um, we'll, I mean, we'll get straight into sort of the, the meat on the, on the bones of the podcast. Um, so obviously your background is in recruitment, uh, data analytics, that sort of thing. Um, and obviously um, you, you're, you're doing work for, for Peterborough United in League One at the moment. How was it that you came about to sort of get that role from, from having the, the Twitter account? Yeah, so if anyone does follow me, you'll see I've, I've been on there for about two and a half, three years now. And I, I kind of just started the account, and it was based on Sheffield United. I'm a Sheffield United fan, which is something you can actually say these days quite proudly. Um, that's not nothing common in the last 10 years. But yeah, so, so it, it started from there, and it was just basically to put on some thoughts and stats about Sheffield United players and, and grew and grew. And when I went to university, I did a performance analysis degree. So it was based on kind of more video and notational analysis with a little bit of data rather than full-on analytics. I always say there's better, better scientists out there than me, but some people maybe not a better interpreter of that data in terms of what it means in football. So I think it just caught fire, to be honest, the account. I just think a lot of people liked, you know, it came at a time when data in football was becoming sexy, for want of a better phrase. It was becoming common. You know, I think more and more people are in tune with it and look to data to prove points in the pub if they're having a chat with their mates. You know, you understand certain things about data, it can solve an argument that type of thing I think that's how it was used and uh, so it got pushed really more than I ever expected it to frankly probably bigger than I ever wanted it to to be honest as well but uh, I can't complain because a year ago I was just chatting away as I do on Twitter to, to a couple of people and, and the Peterborough chairman at the time Darren McCantony jumped in on a, on a thread uh, and we exchanged some, some positive messages and uh, it was actually I'm going to plug another podcast is that alright I'll plug another one so oh, actually, go for it go for it <laughs> Actually, Ali Maxwell from the Not the Top Twenty guys. Ali tweeted Dara and just said, "Look, you know, Dara, you should basically bloody hire him. He knows what he's on about." And uh, I woke up to an email the next morning from Dara, um, uh, and we went from there. And within 24 hours, I was doing stuff for Peterborough. Excellent. I mean, I suppose for anyone who wants to be in sort of that environment, that's kind of the dream, isn't it? You know, you're just having a chat on on Twitter with someone, and then someone high profile pitches in, and then. Friends in high places, Ali Maxwell from the not the top twenty. You know the man on Sky Sports. Look, there's there he is. Um, but yeah, no, they're, they're fantastic. The Ali and George at not the top twenty. And as you say, Dara is he's very active on Twitter. Uh, the Peterborough United chairman. Um, so yeah, it's it's great that you kind of got involved with that. Um, was yeah. was there was there anything that you sort of taught yourself, or was there any courses that you enrolled on to sort of get yourself into the, the meaty side of recruitment and data analytics? Um, so not initially, no. So I've done a couple of courses since, more just to pad out CVs now, because you're kind of in football, you want to stay in football. But uh, no, it was all self-taught. So it was all, uh, it was all based around, you know, elements of my degree I did and what I've always thought and the way I view football. I was always a coach. Uh, I went to America for a while when I left university and some coaching out there. So it was always kind of just observations on football. And they always kind of, I, I always prefer to add some kind of, element that was fact-based you know data-driven focus to it because that way I'm centering my opinion around something that's actual reality rather than just my own view and I guess it was all self-taught so I just read a lot of blogs um, I think again to plug someone else 
I think the, the Stats Bomb guys, you know, they do a good podcast, but their website is absolutely it's a solid resource for anyone interested in data. It doesn't matter if you want to be an analytics guy, if you just want to read about how it all started. Because I think the early concepts were, if I'm honest, I'm going to sound old school, they were better than where we are today um, in, in the public sphere. I think it's where people, experts were basically blogging because they weren't in football yet. So they were very open with their information. Um, and I would just say that's a great resource. And then from that, the people who wrote on that website, they started their own individual blogs. Um, and it was just about reading, really, reading blogs, reading journals, really absorbing as much information as I could to say, well, this is interesting. You know, this is new. But how does it work to football? How can I apply it? Uh, you know, I'm never going to be a solid mathematician. I'm not a data scientist. So what, what does that mean to me? Where do I fit in this? And it was really what I saw was the interpretation between someone describing their model and what it does to explaining that to a coach or what that actually means in scouting a player. I kind of lived in that world for a while. Um, I just I just looked at data. I looked at models. I created my own. I looked at video. I looked at players. And I actually went, ah, okay, that makes sense. This model says this player's good. And when I watched him, he is. It's really as simple as that. It was really just that. It was absorbing as much information as I could. And then since then, I've done a couple of the FA Ipso courses um, you know, the kind of international pro scouting courses, just, just to get a bit of backup on the CV, really. Um, you know, it's all right telling people you can do something, but a bit of paper can help after a while. <laughs> Definitely so. I think I feel like, yeah, that is something that if people are in football, then yeah, they, they're going to, you're going to want that to, to back yourself up, aren't you? Um, it, it's, it's, a, it's, it's kind of too traditionalistic for me. I don't want to be traditional. We at market, and we'll get onto who market are and that, if you ask, but. We, we've recently hired a couple of people. We made a point of not looking at someone's CV of qualifications. Mm-hmm. I want your experience. I want to know what you can Just show me what you can do. That's, that's what I always say to people on Twitter. If it, oh, everyone is interested now in getting a job in data in football. Uh, there isn't that many, <laughs> mm-hmm. frankly, um, you know, especially if you're not a data scientist. So what I say to people is put your work out there. If you don't put yourself out there, people can't see it. So you're never going to be seen. No, that's fair enough. Yeah, I mean, you, that's, that's kind of the sort of thing that we, that we try to do is, you know, get your work out there, Absolutely. show show people what you, you're capable of. Um, but, I mean, you touched on their market insights there, and that, that's something I really want to get into because it's such a great setup and it's such, I don't know, it's 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 interesting to see how, you know, a, a combined love of data, a combined love of, you know, recruitment and that sort of analytics side of things um, can can bring people together in, in sort of a business venture and that's essentially what you guys have done over there so I mean for anyone who who hasn't heard of market insights I mean book your ideas of what you've been doing uh, but also um, what would you be able to explain sort of what it is and the, the football consultancy work that you do around that yeah so I mean so I guess for a while now on, on Twitter, there's probably been an active community of datary people or, or scouting people, if you will. Um, and Market Insights was started by Tim Keach, who is at Stop Bunching. It's Matt Lawrence, who's at Bananas and Nutmegs, and Ram Shvernas, who's at Ram Shvernas. Um, and they started a company called Market Insights, and they, they won a contract with Swansea Football Club um, in the EFL Championship, Swansea City. And basically what they've done is now we're all kind of joint and we're part owners. But what we've done now with myself coming on board and Andy McGregor, who's El Pavot on Twitter, who's more of a traditional scout and uses data, but it's a lot of video watching his work. It's not really analytics. We've basically took the best skills that were out there doing it for free and combined them into something we think is missing in football. And we don't think it's missing from every club. Liverpool, Brentford, there's good examples up and down the leagues, Coventry even, uh, of teams using uh, I wouldn't say analytics, but teams using data or analytics to, to help their recruitment process. But what we've done is we want to be not just scouts. We don't want to be data guys. We want to combine a bit of everything. So we do the video scouting. Um, we've got scouts on the ground in certain countries. We've got contacts. We've got data scientists. Um, Ram and a, a guy called Kevin Elphick, Swans Analytic, who, who started it with the guys. Absolutely unreal what they can produce um, in terms of data analysis or visualizations. We've got people who can interpret the data and who can scout. We've also got, well, we've recently hired a, a player um, in the Norwegian third division. <laughs> uh, quite, quite random. Um, but he's a, he's a brilliant scout as well. And he's got a coaching brain. So he gives us that side of it. We've got a UEFA license, UEFA B license, sorry, coach who's working towards his A. I, I'm working towards my B. So kind of got a smorgasbord of skills. And what we think is we can provide market analysis so we can look at trends. Where are teams buying from? Where are they not buying from? What ages are you know, leagues buying from, looking at league uh, similarity. So 
what's the transition like from this league to this league? What's the playing styles like? And we just really kind of rounded our approach and it's kind of worked, if I'm honest. Um, so we work with we work with the EFL Championship Club, I referenced there. Um, a couple of other clubs in the EFL who work with uh, a team in the USL. We've got quite a few clubs that we work with. Um, obviously, hoping to work with more. Uh, unfortunately, coronavirus came along. Uh, and I'm sure everyone will say, you know, we wish everyone hope and safe and well, but we also hope uh, when we can, football returns safely because uh, I think we're all, uh, both business and personal-wise, really aching for that to come back as long as it can come back safely. I, w- I wanted to just talk about sort of the, the handle behind, you know, Blades Analytic and Blades obviously comes from Sheffield United, of course. They are they are your first love, uh, if you don't mind me saying. You know, you've got Definitely. you've got quite quite a few under twenty three players there, and they are interesting to us or of interest to us. You know, um, Sander Berg, uh, Dean Henderson, um, Panos Retsos, and, and Ollie McBurney are sort of the ones in the first team there. Sander Berg is a player that we we sort of tracked for quite a while at Scouted Football because he'd done well in Norway and then he moved to Genk and then had a bit of an injury when he he might have been moving on to it to a bigger league, and I think it's it's a good step for him to to come from from Belgium to the Premier League to a club like Sheffield United because you know he's he's going to work with first of all fantastic coach he's going to work with a tight group of players he he's going to get that sort of transition where he's going to be it's going to be very inclusive. Um, he, he has everything set up to succeed there. From sort of a, a datary or, or, or a recruitment point of view, what, what do you think sort of Berg's style adds to, to what, what Sheffield United have already at the moment? Because obviously this season's been great from, from your perspective. Yeah, unreal. And, and to be fair to you guys, um, I, I watch a fair bit of Berg as well, but after reading your piece on him, um, about the time we signed him, I was probably more excited than ever. Um, but then you guys do that. When you release a piece, it's, it's instantly read by just about anyone who works in football because you guys do the work as well. So it's always interesting to see what you guys see. Um, I, I think Sander was a signing that basically was... I, I mean, the club have confirmed that they were planning to sign him in the summer. The plan was to bring Sander in in the summer. Um, and then a, and a, So the summer, as in when we got promoted. And unfortunately, we a couple of bids rejected, so we couldn't. And then the plan was to roll that into the next summer. I think an opportunity came to get him um, uh, because we, our season has gone so well. And it looked like we were going to stay up, obviously, in January. They decided to go now, basically, and get him cheaper rather than him playing well for six months and moving on to Milan or the other links that had happened previously. And, and I think what Sander does is he's, he's been bought in. I know he's playing the, at the minute. For anyone who doesn't know, we play 3-5-2. Um, and Sander's come in and predominantly played in the right of the three in the middle, which isn't really his role. I think that's fair to say that you guys, you've watched a lot of him. Sanders probably, he's probably a number six, if we're being honest. Not a traditional ball winner, not, a, you know, not, not that McAuley role that everyone talks about for years. Very different to that, but a six, definitely. And I, you know, he, he's took some time to adapt to the role that he's been asked to play because the, the way we play, um, the, the right-hand side of the three has to be quite dynamic, has to get in the box a lot quite involved in attacking play, which is something that Sander can do, but isn't probably used to. He's a bit deeper normally, starts attacks and builds. So it's been interesting to watch him transition from watching him in Genk. And I think ultimately what he'll do is he'll probably, he'll, he'll spend time playing in that position. He'll spend time transitioning between that and the number six. Oliver Norwood is such an underrated player on number six. And our system is very peculiar and unique. It would take a long time for someone to play that six role properly. Because you have to be used to a centre-back running past you at 100 miles an hour um, up the pitch, knowing that you've got to cover that space while winning the ball in front of you and also have the passing range to find the wing-backs on the diagonals, which Sander can do. So I think ultimately he'll go into number six. Uh, and Norwood's, I don't want to be disrespectful to Norwood, but Norwood's age probably says that will happen. I think Ollie's 29 coming into 30, so at the top level, maybe one, two years max more. Um, and I think Sander's athleticism, his size, his ability to take the ball on a half turn and progress forwards, I think that's all what the Blades saw and thought, we'll take in this. And I think I don't think he has a role yet, is what I'm trying to say. I don't think there's a defined role. I think it's going to be up to Sander, where, where, he, you know, where he shows he can play best. It might well be we change system or tweak it and Sander can find a role there. But I think there's just an excitement among the Blades fans whenever we see him. Because, I mean, we don't sign players like Sander. But we don't, Sheffield United fans don't sign him. You know, this is a, a wonder kid, it's a scout you know, football under 23, Wonder Kate, someone that the world talks about as being a guy who could be the next big thing, and we got him. Um, so it was just exciting to sign him, if I'm honest. He's, he's got the best song already in the world. 
So it goes to the tune of Oasis. It's brilliant. Um, and I think he's enjoyed it. And I think he once he has a preseason and becomes a little bit sharper, I think he said himself, his first game at Crystal Palace, he was absolutely pagging after it. He said he'd never done as many sprints. Yeah. Um, and one thing about Chris Wilder's system, and it's easy to say this, I know, but he demands the most physical output out of the players. There ain't many teams that are going to run Sheffield United over. You might be better than us, but you're not going to run us over. So I think once Sander gets that little bit more fitness and a little bit quicker, we'll probably see the best of him. Yeah, that song, uh, it's, it goes to the tune of he's, uh, She's Electric, doesn't it? Yeah, he's it Norwegian as it goes. And don't worry, I won't get you to sing it on the pod unless you, unless you, <laughs> unless you want to at the end. But um, yeah, he, he does look like such an exciting signing. And I, I completely understand, you know, Sheffield United don't sign those sort of players. You know, in the past few years, the club haven't been in a position to, to sign players like that. So to get him was, yeah, it was, it was in all honesty, quite a surprise. But if you're, if you're looking at the table then a, a team who are 7th, 8th, ninth in the Premier League, that is the level that he could have been coming in, well, would have been coming into anyway. So I think it was, obviously, in hindsight, it's a fantastic move to have got him in January, given the, the situation this summer being so uncertain. Um, but yeah, definitely. He's, he's definitely a player that I think, as you say, will graduate into that sixth role and has that passing range, which is... Again, which makes Ollie Norwood so good because you know you see he's at the top of every metric for in terms of like long balls, diagonals, and every, everything like that. Um, he's, he's he's that sort of player. So I think if if Sander can can adapt to that and and has the the right environment to to settle and to get into what Chris Wilder wants from him there, then I think yeah, he'd be a, a, a shoe in for for being sort of one of the side's best players. Um, Obviously, speaking of best players at Sheffield United this season, Dean Henderson's been been pretty good. Um, he's 23, and I think there's, there's the discussions over sort of how how long Jordan Pickford has at the top as England's number one. I think that's kind of reflective of how well how well received Henderson's performances have been this year. I mean, what is I mean, first off, what are your opinions on him? But also, what do you think you know the future holds for for Dean Henderson in particular? I, I honestly think Dean's got the world in his, his hands, as it were. Um, obviously, been going games and whatnot, and behind the scenes, you met him a couple of times. I've never met anyone as confident in my life, um, and I think anyone says that who's ever spoken to him or in football. Extremely nice guy, you know. Community work is unbelievable, but such confidence in his own ability. He's an outstanding shot stopper. He really is. He's an orthodox. I think you know when you look at goalkeeping technique, a lot of his saves sometimes don't look the most world-class, you know, because he might not flail his body all the big stretching fingertip saves. But that's because his positioning and his footwork is so good. Um, he's so quick across his line. He's so dynamic and explosive in his movement. His handling's very good. Um, commands his area well. I think the one thing that probably holds Dino back that people have, you know, for this summer, for example, if the Euros were going ahead, um, that people would have looked at Jordan Pickford for is the distribution. Um, and that's a fair comment. I wouldn't use statistics for that. This is one thing that we talk about at Market Insights all the time. Uh, Contextualise your statistics. Dean Henderson plays for Sheffield United and we will try and play football as much as possible, but we will also give it an absolute wallop when needed. Um, and Dean Henderson has, you know, McBurney up front, who's a very good technical player, but also is, you know, a big lass. So absolutely, we're going to play more goal kicks long. Um, so, you know, I wouldn't use stats for that. I think, Pickford's ball striking technique, you know, especially out of the hands, that kind of half slice volley that's quite pinpoint. Yeah, that's 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 a big factor. Um, you know, my own thoughts are I would rather have a goalkeeper who can probably be better at saving shots. Um, <laughs> I don't, you know, I don't want to be too basic in that view, but that's just my opinion. I think Jordan Pickford's a very good goalkeeper. I think he'll come again. He, he's had a bad season, but keepers do. Um, you know, it, it's just the way it goes uh, as a goalkeeper. It seems to be when you have a bad season, you drop clangers. Uh, you know, and it, mentally he just needs to recover, but. I think that's where Dino probably has the edge on just about everyone. I think there's only two or three keepers in the league better in terms of post-shot XG. Um, for anyone who's not data savvy, you know, looking at the expected goals of the shots on target they face, who's saving the most goals, if you will. Um, I think only Dubravka, Guita, maybe, uh, are slightly better than him. So when you consider his age, his experience, I think it's you know he's been the League One Player of the Year could quite easily have been up there in the Championship. I think he kept the most clean sheets in League One, the most clean sheets in the Championship. We're up there this year in the Premier League. There's no surprise to me that Dean Henderson is getting those type of stats to his name because he's absolutely brilliant. Yeah, he has been. I mean, it's that rise that 
I just want to draw on as well because you know he's gone from League Two to League One to the Championship to the yeah. Premier League, and it's been so it's been rapid. But it's hard to see why you wouldn't have that confidence if you'd gone all that way and then be- became a player who was in England contention. But I suppose yeah, that mental toughness. I think for goalkeepers more than any other position, maybe strikers as well. That mental toughness yeah. uh, and and having that that approach to, to things is probably the probably the, the the most important position on the pitch because if you don't believe your own ability then that is going to directly translate to how you're saving shots you know that's half split second of hesitation is going to make all the difference I think that's key because it's, it's not arrogance it's confidence he can, he can come across as arrogant sometimes I mean some of his uh, you know I won't use the phrase that we all like to use but some of his antics sometimes to away fans are unreal they really are he's he, he, he can take the mick with the best of them I mean he gets it himself from the crowd he just gives it back but borderline arrogance according to the outwardly view but he's really not I can assure you it's not he's just completely confident in everything he does and if he makes an error he just improves that's the only thing I can say I've seen him now at two full seasons and I've seen him make a couple of errors actually and once he's made an error he doesn't make that error again you know you can see he's working on it in training I think he's credited Darren Ward who's a goalkeeping coach at Sheffield United with a lot of credit and I think that's fair I think when he came from Shrewsbury there was a great shot stopper there and a decent decent command of his area but there was flaws in his decision-making, he was a little bit rash or he's a little bit naive sometimes. Um, and he seems to have stamped that out of his game already, which at his age is he's unreal, to be honest with you. And he's been exposed to a lot of league football. You know, League One is very, very difficult. You get smashed in the face as a goalkeeper. You learn things that you don't maybe have to use in the Premier League, but just toughen you up. You know, you look at the David De Gea comparison. When he came and he was this wiry little thing who could save shots but couldn't catch across. And then he went and bulked up a little bit and became the superstar that he is. Dino's already done that at 21, 22. So who knows what the next seven years will hold for him. Yeah, and you look at goalkeepers coming up to sort of being 30 years old and, you know, that is, that, that is them in their prime. And, you know, Dean Henderson's been a top-level Premier League goalkeeper this season over the course of 30 games um, for someone, for a team who are promoted as well. Um, so I think the, the, the world is at his feet or is at his hands, as, as, as you said at the, at the beginning of that, for, for sure. Um, just obviously this being a, a, an under-23 podcast, we do talk about under-18s and under-23 players quite a lot. And with your position uh, in, in recruitment, I suppose what I kind of wanted to ask, one of the main things was, do you sort of have sort of a, a checklist of sorts when, when you're analysing younger players, when you know, we're talking the under-18 or under-23 level? Because everybody wants to know who the next big thing is going to be. But is there sort of a, a set menu where you can say, he's going to be a top player from the age of 18. You can say that, you know, there's, there's something there in that player's makeup that says, you know what, he is going to be up to the standard. No, is the answer because... So a great example today popped up on my timeline. It actually makes a lot of sense. So Jordan Ibe's going to be out of contract in the summer at Liverpool. And I think when I watched Jordan Ibe when he was at Wickham, and I remember it really well, and I think when Jordan went to Liverpool uh, and initially Raheem started to come through, there was comparisons made, probably unfairly, but actually both of them weren't too far away from the same level. And I think Jordan, you know, still has ability, but you can never, you can never say how someone's going to transition mentally or physically to a, to a first team, for example, um, or a new league if you're signing from abroad, for example, to bring into the Premier League or the Championship. So. The answer, the answer is no, there's not a set menu. It's very dependent upon the club that's signing the player, what they're looking for, the type of player it is, type of position, and also the mentality of the player. You know, I would say mentality becomes even more into younger players in terms of recruitment than it does into the older ones because you've probably got, if someone's made 300 career appearances you know, at 26, mentality is going to be fairly solid generally. You know, they're professionals, they understand how the game works, they look after themselves, they train, they've not got injury records. Whereas an 18-year-old, you hear stories all the time, 18-year-olds succeed, but then some come across and all of a sudden, a little bit more money, a little bit more exposure to life, and they fall away. Um, so I think you, you have to be really clear on their mentality and their physicality as well, especially for the Premier League. Physicality is such a big thing these days. The game is so fast, so vertical a lot of times, and also can still be direct with certain teams as well. Nothing wrong with that, but you can't be bringing in someone who's technically great but lightweight off the ball because they're going to be challenged. That's one of the things that 
I've, I've sort of learned from speaking to different players and speaking to coaches in sort of under 23 environment and, and the scouting environment of scouting young players, they completely echo what you say in that, you know, there isn't a, a, a tried and tested method. You know, players, player, we say it all the time, development is not linear. A youngster in particular might have a terrible season one year and, and back it up with a, a 10, 15 goal season at, at the Premier League two level um, yeah. the, the following year. And that's purely by chance and purely because they may have developed physically that year they may have I don't, I don't know they may have developed mentally may have just matured there's so many different factors at play uh, we, we see it all the time so I think you see all the time um, the guys from the Premier League 2 or under 18s when they go on their first loan in the EFL normally it's normally in the EFL so for example Sheffield United had Ben Woodburn when we were in the Championship and, and Ben's obviously a highly talented player a lot of rating um, I know you guys have done pieces on him so you know this guy has clearly got something yet when he came it's not for any fault of his own. We just had a, you know, a more experienced, better player at that time for us in that position. But, but Ben just struggled slightly to adapt, I think, to the environment of men's football, you know, away from Liverpool, away from the coaches and, and, and teammates that he knew, away from home, in a physical men's league, which is the championship. And he played, he actually played well when he came on. It was very limited minutes. And I think Ben's done very well at Oxford and I think he'll go again, no doubt. But people have all, I wouldn't say fell off, but you know, you guys will because you do it and professionally, but when you look at the public sphere, the, the Ben Woodburn hype train, if it will, has, has fallen away all of a sudden, hasn't it? You know, there's not a lot of talk about him, yet he'll come again next year or the year after because he's such a talented player. It's just he wasn't ready then. And people peak and they're ready at different times. Another player who's on loan at Blackpool from Leicester under-23s is Kieran Dewsbury Hall. And it's his first loan out in the FL. And he's been amazing composed on the ball he's physically dealt with it he scored goals and he'll probably play in the championship next year or maybe even the Leicester first team around the fringes you know and it just goes to show all right he was a little bit older than Ben but it really does they need to be thrown into it a little bit sometimes at the right time but they need to be thrown into it to see if they can they can deal with it or if they need a little bit more time well, for sure. I mean, I, th- I think one one of the constants in in the recruitment world is, is from from seeing it on your timeline and, and on other people's timelines on Twitter is that while there are so many variable factors at play, one which players will not be able to get away from is the data side of things like you know the, ultimately what the output that they do on the pitch you know in terms of every metric that they that they have you know you can't get away from that that is that is factual it's there it's at the disposal of the people who know how to use it and implement it the most i'd say specifically well the question is really specifically for younger players for at that younger age range perhaps the ones who haven't gone out and had a season of men's football how useful and reliable is that data going to be for for those players and, and perhaps ones that haven't you know fully physically developed yet as well uh, a lot less useful than, than than you know your standard first team scouting or if they've got a history of experience on loans for example you still use it i i've certainly used it um so if you look at the Premier League too, uh, obviously uh, the thing to remember or, or know for a lot of people out there who don't do this type of thing is the Premier League too, you'll get players that drift in and out of that squad because they might be with the first team. So, you know, so you can look at, uh, you know, platforms like Wisecout or Instat, they do track the expected goals of under 23 leagues. So you can see the, at least the expected goals. You can break their stats down by their minutes played. So you can actually relativise it. So if someone has played a thousand minutes at Premier League two and someone else has played 600, the guy who's played 600 might have a better goal record for 90. You know, so you can do that and you can kind of track. And then if you look at their appearances, you know, if you see someone come into the under-23s, play 10 games, score, if they're a striker, score some goals off they're a midfielder, you know, play well. And then they go back into the first team squad and then they have a timeout and come back. That gives you an inclination that that team rate that player. You know, they're not just throwing them in the 23s to get games. They're actually saying, well, we played them, they played well, so we're going to get them in the first team fold, maybe first team training, maybe on the bench for game days. You know, and then maybe they'll go back in again every now and again just to get some more games. So that's the type of pattern and trend you'd look for and say, that team must really rate that player because he's played under 23 games, but then he's gone on and sat on the first team bench a couple of times. They wouldn't do that if he wasn't least ready to be there. That can be a pattern that you look for. But the honest answer is no, not, not much data usage you would have at that level. You would depend a lot more on your kind of scouts on the ground and your video scouting. I mean, I mean, in terms of patterns and trends, something that 
I, I listened to uh, that I noticed when I listened to the Market Insights pod was that you were speaking about uh, recruitment of of teams with different different uh, similar styles and in and, and similar leagues. So one comparison that you made was the amount of aerial duels that the centre backs make in the Championship is comparable to that of the the Czech league. And that's not to say that you should be going shopping in the, in the Czech league for or for all your centre backs if you're a, if you're a Championship side. No, because that's you know it's very tunnel vision. Um, but do you think that in general? clubs should be scouting sides with, with sort of like a similar style more often and do you think it'll start to be more more commonplace looking at teams with similar styles to pick a particular player from um i mean probably nowhere across the board and i wouldn't advise it but because i would say it depends what club you are what level you are um so it, clubs in the EFL and clubs maybe in the, the lower rungs of the Premier League or, or lower rungs of the broad, for example, in more minor leagues, probably have to be a bit more flexible in their approach. So you're just trying to ID good players that fit the profile of what you're looking for. So how recruitment works generally is a, as a club, you will build a profile. So you won't just say, I want a centre mid. You will say what that centre mid is. Is he a sitter? Is he a box to box? Is he an advanced eight? Do you want him to score goals or do you want him to be a ball carrier? You know, you, you'll really drill down. Uh, and then how we work at market is we will say, okay, don't worry about metrics. Just tell me what you want the player to play like. And then we'll decipher what that means in terms of the metrics. So if you say you want a box-to-box guy who scores goals, we will then go away and discuss internally and say, this is what we think that is in the metrics. We'll go back and discuss that with the club and get kind of an agreement. And we'll find players that fit that style within those metrics. Now, that's not to say it needs to be the same same style of play or same system. It can help. Um, the obviously biggest example is a lot of teams these days are utilised back threes. So, you know, when you're signing centre-halves for a back two, for example, a lot of teams will probably avoid back threes. I'm not saying you should, but a lot of teams may avoid systems that have a back three because you're not sure if one of those three, especially if they're a wide centre-half, could play in the two. Because the two is not only more central, it's different responsibilities, it's less cover, um, it's, it's definitely more central uh, defensive duties rather than covering in the channels. Now, we scouted a player recently um, who does play in a back three and he's actually, we think, perfect for a two because this team who potentially sign him for, their full-backs bomb on in the back four. So actually, to have someone who can go and laterally cover that space and is quick enough across the ground and is used to defending the channel is a massive plus. Clever teams will find players that, if, if a player leaves you and you don't want them to, you know, if you're selling a player because you have to rather than you, you, you want to get rid of them, I think clever clubs would replace that player with someone like for like if possible. I think that's something that should happen a little bit more. Not always possible, but I think the greatest example as a Newcastle fan is probably um, Salomon Rondon. Obviously, didn't come to Newcastle in the summer. And Joe Linton, who I think is a very good player, was signed as a replacement and they couldn't be more dissimilar as footballers. For the role that he does, I've said this often, I get castigated for this, but for the role that Rondon did, He's probably one of the top five players in the world for that role in terms of a striker who can play 30 metres from the next furthest player on his team and still win the ball and still be a goal threat and running behind and be big enough to win headers. There's not many better than Rondon. You know, you're talking prime Diego Costa maybe is better. So it's that type of role. Now, Jalinton's used to playing in a three up top under a Nagelsmann system at Hoffenheim where he had support. He was on the inside left channel. It was so different so different on every level so I don't blame Newcastle for signing Joe Linton he's a very good player um, you would hope that he will stay and that they learn his game and get better support around him because there is a good player there what I would say is you know a little bit more care in that process would have highlighted that if you want to play the same way Joe Linton isn't that player to do so mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, you, I can't tell you how validated I feel having heard that from sort of someone of your expertise because, you know, that's the sort of thing I've been, I've been saying all season. You know, you can't sign a, play, a, a square player and put him in a round hole. You know, you can't expect yeah. him to, to fulfil the Salomon Rondon role where, you know, he's, yes, he might physically tick all the boxes, but it's not what he's been used to. You know, he was playing much deeper at Rapid Vienna and he was playing, you know, in a deeper role. He wasn't sort of that isolated attacking figure at Hoffenheim. You know, he's playing in a fluid attack with, with two other pretty big, burly guys in, in Andre Kramnich yeah. and Jack Belfordil. So, you know, he needed that support. And Rondon was, Rondon was a freak in the sense that he could, as you say, play 30 yards from, from Iose Perez and, 
and, and managed to hold it up against two or three defenders yeah. and lay it off and then run in behind. So, yeah, completely, <laughs> completely understand that, uh, where you come from there. All too, far too well, some would say. Um, <laughs> Well, it's good to have it backed up by the data, uh, let, let me tell you. Um, data, going back to data specifically, I mean, there is an enormous amount of it. And I think with the proliferation of, of metrics that there are, you know, I think anyone who doesn't have a great grasp of, of what data can mean in football, it can sometimes be a bit overwhelming. And people might think, uh-huh. oh, it's just numbers. You know, uh, I, I think... Um, you know the ex hearts manager uh, Ian Cathro was described as a laptop manager when he was in in Scotland, <laughs> um, and I, I don't really like that term because it's it's, no. sort, it's sort of it seems sort of derogatory really. But I mean, in your role, you're 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 one of the more um, vocal in your like in your profession, so to speak, because you know you That's have a good word for account, um, <laughs> and and it's your job essentially to to sift through it, block out the noise, and and. Billy Bean it essentially for, for want of a better phrase um, but uh, with there being so much out there how do you do that responsibly when you're doing it on Twitter or, or when you're doing it to, to push uh, a recommendation for a certain player you, you watch basically and I don't mean you watch uh, as in you video scout you do that we, we definitely do that um, but you watch your metrics so I think the most open platform, and it's not to plug them, or two of them, is Scout and Insta. I think that's become popular recently, especially Scout. I think they had a quite cheap membership about a year ago that everyone kind of tacked onto. And I don't have a problem with people producing what you see on Twitter, which is the, the scattergrass, as we call them, the two axes, and the player in the top right is always the best player. That's how I started, and I, I don't have an issue with that. What I would say is for anyone interested... Um, you know, you don't need to have Scout. You, you can't find highlights of a player quite easily. But certainly for those guys that are looking to get into football or are pushing this out there, what, watch what you're putting out. So if you are putting two metrics together, actually watch what they are on video. So watch the coding of them. I've watched a game about six months ago. So I watched the whole game with the coding next to it of the events next to it. So tackle pass by a player, key pass, you know, for a chance created. And the first thing that struck me was, I mean, I knew this anyway, but the first thing that struck me was key passes, like, they're referenced all the time, even from me. And actually, they're a little bit of nonsense because the game that I watched, there was seven key passes from two, split between two players, and only one of them was what I'd call a chance. Mm. The other two were just laying it off from, like, 30 yards, and it was a key pass. So, you know, watch, watch the data actually on video, watch it play out, understand what it means. So don't just say this is, you know, passes to the penalty area. Well, what does that mean? Yeah, it means he's played it to the penalty area. Did he play it in controlled? Was it a hoy into the box? Um, you know, was it was it to try and find someone in behind the defensive line? Which is the type of pass that De Bruyne does, and that's the type of pass you want. I think people need to watch a little bit more of their data rather than just put data out. Um, and I think that that's a key, actually, for anyone who's interested in getting involved, really, is make sure you're balancing the time. Not, 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 not between video and data. I'm not getting into that argument. This is saying... When, when you're putting players out, watch them. Understand if the data is actually telling you what you see on video or if it's telling you something different. You know, if it's telling you that the player has this output, but actually when you watch them stylistically, they look different, that, that, those two things can still be correct. Um, you know, but it, it contextualizes it for you a little bit more. Are they playing in a long ball team, for example? Progressive passes, everyone loves progressive passes at the minute. Well, is it a progressive pass or is it that they're just playing in a direct team? Yeah. You know, uh, it's quite simple. Or, you know, or is it that they switch the play a lot? Oliver Norwood, he's got the most long passes in the Premier League and, and or one of them and Sheffield United are up there with the most long passes. doesn't mean we're a long ball team. He hits diagonals all day. Yeah. So, you know, it, uh, another mistake people use is basic statistics when they're discussing players. So Trent Alexander-Arnold, we all know Trent's passing range is crossing. He's absolutely superb. Yeah, his actual passing accuracy is one of the lowest for all fullbacks in the Premier League because he's a risky passer. Exactly. You know, it, it's really about contextualising and everyone knew that but you know that's a simple example if you didn't know the player look into the player watch them are they actually a risky passer is that why their accuracy is down do they play in a poor team is that why they don't have a lot of attacking metrics but actually they're really good in that poor team there's a lot of context you need to put behind that I think another player who is similar in that sense, the risky passer, is, is Sandro Tonali from, from Brescia in, in Serie A. He's another one who is, by design, an excellent passer. You know, he will pick out those balls that other people don't even see. But the fact that he is trying these riskier passes, the, the balls that he's trying to play his teammates in behind. And, you know, he's playing in, a, in, a, in 
one of Syria's poorest sides. But he's yeah. still trying these, and he's still like hitting the the the, the top of, of certain metrics for you know like chances created and shot assists and that sort of thing. Making sure not to use the term key pass there, um, but it is you know contextualizing is i think it's very very important in sort of the data and analytics community especially if you are doing it from sort of an amateur perspective because people you might have thousands of followers and if you're you know putting out stuff that is that you know is a bit wishy-washy a bit shaky then you know that's going to be misleading people that's going to be leading down a path so i think it's yeah it's commendable definitely um as a wider point to sort of your your job to talk about metrics and data and that sort of thing. A lot of people, people who are more old school would, would um, give precedence to sort of the unquantifiable metrics. So, you know, uh -huh. your leadership, your spirit, your hard work, your teamwork, your determination, you know, in your role, how do you go about quantifying the, the unquantifiable for, for want of a better phrase? Yeah, so we, that's an interesting question. It's one that we, we get asked a lot. Um, so at market, I mean, I mean, we have, other, other, I suppose, unquantifiables because you don't have that physical data is things like speed, strength as well. Um, you know, they're less intangibles because you think you can see them, but actually, how do you relativize it? If you see someone sprint, you don't know how he's sprinting against other teams in the league when they're not playing. You know, you know what fast is, but do you know what kind of fast is or do you know what kind of strong is that type of thing? So, we have a, a database where we register all of our players who we scout for our clubs and, and just for us to bring forward to new clubs. So, players who could be of interest um, and we grade them on their physical metrics. So we have the data that there's output that's, you know, fact intangible, uh, sorry, tangible. Then we have the, the physical characteristics that we, we grade on a player. So speed, strength, acceleration, uh, technique, as well as another one. What you say is a good technical player. I might disagree with. So we try and somehow get, we, we have levels of grading where we've kind of quality analyzed ourselves and try to get somewhere where we're, we're, we're uniformed on technique you're right, there is intangible. So one of the things I do a lot is um, I looked at a player recently in France, for example, in League Two in France. Not on your radar yet, but he is 21. Um, and <laughs> basically, I knew this guy's a good player. His data's off the chain. Um, watched him a few times, watched him full nighties, watched his video clips. He's a very good player. Where could he play? What league? What level? Not sure, but he's definitely a good player. So, you know, he's someone you keep watching. And I wanted to see mentality wise what he was like so what I did is I found a game on, on stats where he was fouled a lot so I looked at all games where he'd been fouled in a season I found the highest game where he'd been fouled so basically he was targeted and he was as well when I watched it back and I wanted to see after getting kicked a few times basically did he get up and carry on he's a winger so do, does he take the ball you know does he take the ball and carry on basically does he carry on attacking his fullback does he show for it does he still make runs in behind or does he stay out on the wing and just basically say I'm not bothered for the next 10 minutes lads and he did all those things, the positive things. So I've got a big mentality tick there because I, I'm seeing someone when the going gets tough, continue to be brave. Because that, that fits his mentality, his bravery for me. He, he, I think leadership's, I don't like the leadership discussion because I think leadership's different things. Leadership can be, it can be vocal, it can be encouragement, it can also be leading by example. I think, you know, great example in the past of Steven Gerrard doing that was never the most vocal. He said to himself, Carragher was always the vocal one, but. If you ever needed someone to take a game by the scruff of the neck, if you will, that, that, you know that, that's that Gerard thing. We've got a great leader at Sheffield United, Billy Sharp, who leads by standards that he sets and his vocal example as well, um, which Dino himself and McBurney have both referenced. So I think it's really hard to say what leadership is. I, I think you can only get that from digging into a player's character, which we do at Market. We ask about them. We ask different people about them, ex-coaches, uh, teammates, if we can get that kind of information. But you can certainly get something about a bravery and a mentality aspect from watching them um, and, and the data as well. So not just the, the, the data as in their on-the-ball metrics, but if someone's making lots of appearances, lots of minutes as well, if someone's having a high share of minutes at a young age, it could be because the manager just likes them and that manager's wrong. But generally, it's because they're actually a very trustworthy player. They work hard behind the scenes. They're getting picked because of their performances in training are, are consistent. And, you know, there is other factors, but 80% of the time it's the case where the player is just a good player and the manager's trusting them at a young age. So that gives you another tick in the box, if you will. And it's just about building that package of ticks where you have enough to be able to uh, to go on. 
the, the first player that comes to mind when you sit when you're saying that about the player that you know managers trust because they're a good young player and they're obviously doing the work in in training is is Dwight McNeil and he's a player that could, that comes across in, in in droves that you know he is whenever he's fouled you do see that and it, and it, and it is it, it's natural when you think you know you want that player to get up and carry on and not to mope around on the floor or as you say you know duck out to the wing and be like I'm I'm not fancying this for ten minutes lads. Dwight McNeil is that sort of player you know he's very understated and I think because there's not because mainly because he plays for Burnley but mainly because he doesn't make a lot of fuss about himself um, that he's perhaps perhaps not as highly rated as as some other young English wingers but if you look at exactly he should be I think he's I think he's a fantastic player Um, just moving more on to sort of like player specifics on the, the second episode of the Market Insights uh, pod, and there was a bit of discussion about Ebre Easy, and obviously he's a player that you've seen you've seen a lot of being very enveloped in, in the championship and, and, and the EFL as a whole. Um, I, I think you described him as, as a 10 or an advanced 8, and that you did have perhaps some defensive concerns about him, but he's still 21 years old, and that's not really... Oh, yeah, yeah. Not, not too much to be concerned about at the moment, you know, and, and also the fact that he's playing in a side that which at QPR, which are they're not dominating games, so naturally no. he's you know he's he's going to be left up the pitch as their outlet sort of thing. Um, would you say that as a more general point though, it's becoming more important and and scouts are considering it more in uh, an attacking players, a young attacking players. Um, defensive output with the the focus for a lot of teams being on pressing from the front. Yeah, I, I think that's key. Uh, and you're right. I, you know, football's cyclical, isn't it, in terms of formations and tactics. And probably the next tactic is going to be the team that can play the best long ball because everyone's pushing up, aren't they? Um, so, it, you know, it's interesting. But yeah, I think, that, I think that is a thing. And I also think that a player from the championship is generally only going to go to a bottom 10 Premier League club. There's exceptions, but generally that's the case. So you're probably going to be asked to do a lot of defensive work. Um, you know, we found that at Sheffield United this year where we've had to tweak our system a little bit and get rid of our number 10 and actually bring in John Lundstrom because we have a lot more work off the ball to do. So we need someone who can do that. Now, my, my thoughts on Eze, uh, Eze sorry, weren't, weren't that he can't do that because he can. I've seen him do it at QPR. It was, you know, someone referenced on the pod, if the Newcastle takeover happened, would Eze could be a good signing? He probably would be a good signing, absolutely, because you know he's going to come good. I love the kid. I put out a thread on him. I think he's brilliant. I think he's one of the best I've ever seen from the league. And if he doesn't pick Nigeria, he probably will play for England. But I think the issue would be if he goes to a team that are only going to have 45 46% possession regularly, he's going to have to do a lot of off-the-ball work. And QPR, while they're only mid-table, are a very good attacking side. They create a lot of chances. The championship's a little bit more ping-pong in its, its state. So it's a little bit more, you know, you, you go, we go, the basketball style. So although you don't always have the possession, there is a lot more space. The championship's full of very good coaches and very good players, but it's maybe not as good tactically in terms of a lot of teams in the Premier League set up to win 1-0 or not lose. I think that's fair. Mm-hmm. Because yeah. relegation is such a poison chalice, uh, which has been proven with recent times. And I think that a lot of teams generally do set up to be a little bit more conservative. And that's fair. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that. So, to put Eze in an environment where he'd be in a more conservative team, which I think Newcastle are at the minute, that's fair to say. Yeah, league-wise, you're having a great season, but I think everyone sees what's happening and understands that you know it's maybe not a long-term plan, um, certainly not the way you're playing. There's nothing to say direct football is a problem, but seeing you know, three centre-mids in behind the ball, uh, that, that's not a job that Eze can do. He's not a winger. You won't want to bring him in and be a winger because yeah. you're taking a lot away from his game. He's better at driving people through the middle of the pitch. So I actually think that Eze needs to go to a, I don't want to say a bigger club, a club that are expected to be higher up the table. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I think Eze needs to play in an environment where he's going to be allowed to express himself on the ball. He's going to need to learn a little bit more off the ball, but where there's going to be more possession to, to actually deal with things and a little bit less off the ball work. Yeah, definitely. That's what I had in my notes as well, you know. It says yeah, you have defensive concerns, but you do need to consider that for the team that he would be coming into because obviously the natural next step is, is for him to, to get a Premier League move. He is comfortably one of the Championship's best players. Um, yeah. 
So the the step is obviously to the Premier League next, like the the speculation around the likes of Saeed Benrahma, Oli Watkins, and obviously uh, Brian Mbomo and uh, obviously Neil Mopay, who who went up from Brentford last season. They obviously there's the concern there, but I think is he as as a player, he he just has that he has that X factor. I think it was how yeah how you described it. It's difficult again again it's intangible it's difficult to quantify but you know he's one of those players that just excites and I think in that tight Loftus Road compact environment that's only that's accentuated so much more and there was an interesting point made about third man runs you know going to a team like Newcastle who do not make third man runs would he's not going to be able to make those runs from sitting in front of the defence then he needs to go to a team who are perhaps going to be a bit further forward and having more of the ball in the middle third and, and in the final third like like a Brighton perhaps, but um, yeah, I think he, he's an interesting one in particular. I think that's just about all the time that we've got for for today's episode. Um, otherwise, I think we'd be on two or three hours uh, a recording here if uh, <laughs> if we keep speaking about all the players that we're both interested in. Uh, but we've managed to cover a, a breadth of topics from you know recruitment in football, uh, Jay's beloved Blades, and, and more in depth discussion on sort of the analytics community in general. Um, I mean, if you like what you've heard, please consider leaving us a review, a comment, or you know sharing. The, the pod far and wide and the likewise with um with market insights in their in their work um I, sp- I think i speak for them as well when i say that you know us at scouted football and, and, and jane and the lads at, at market insights we hugely appreciate of any support that, that we receive um but finally to, to the man himself jay thank you for for finding the time to to win what is no doubt your busy schedule at the moment to, to come on and chat and um i mean do you have anything in the offing that you that you'd like to plug to, to anyone who, who may be listening and, and like the cut of your jib. <laughs> no one does like that. Um, no, if you could just please, you know, if you are interested in this type of thing, follow uh, at Insight Market on Twitter. Um, I'm obviously at Blades underscore analytic on Twitter. And I would say, you know, definitely follow Scouted Football. I have for a long, long time. I absolutely love the handbook that you do. Um, I think it's brilliant. I think it's brilliant how you've tracked the players now over years. They graduate past U23s and, you know, it's great to see the players that you picked out are generally have gone on to be successors as well. So clearly know what you're doing. So I think, you know, follow Scout or Football guys, but back there guys because they do a fantastic job and majority-wise, I think, off your own back as well. So deserve a lot of credit for that and uh, certainly uh, share the work as much as possible. Oh, thank you very much. I mean, it does mean a lot coming from you know someone in 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 the world of football, definitely. Um, but yeah, if you aren't already following Jay, um, sort that out right away. Um, Blades Analytic, as as he said on Twitter, uh, and I can I can definitely vouch that you know you won't be disappointed if if you're a fan of the EFL, Sheffield United data analytics, and and anything and everything sort of football related in between. Um, I've been Joe Donahue, and, and uh, this has been the Scouted Football Podcast. Thank you very much for listening. Stay safe, and bye for now. <laughs>